Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, when you read that, what was the paradigm of these two guys walking down the road? These are two guys who supposedly had been with Jesus, right? Or knew him well. And knew him well, and they called him a prophet. And they were both sad. And they were both sad because he wasn't the one that they thought he was going to be. Interesting. Interesting. They didn't recognize him at all. No. See. So did he look different? I don't know. Their perception, yeah. If you come back here, their perspective and their perception was filtered or, or triggered by the fact they thought Jesus was going to be the military solution to their problems. Sharon. So what hit me as soon as you were talking is, for me, it's just like when the election happened. Like, I was so sure this is what God was going to do and how he was and what his purposes and plans were. And when he didn't show up the way I thought, and I think I know him well, then I was sad. Yeah. So it's a, it feels very familiar. Yeah. And on top of that, they were seven miles away from Jerusalem on the day Jesus rose from the dead. What does that suggest to you? Well, seven is the number for completion. Yeah, but they're going seven miles away from where the events are happening. Well, they gave up. They gave up. Oh, I know that. Yeah. And isn't that kind of that same? I'm sorry, what's Seven miles away? He said they were seven. Didn't they say they knew that Jesus, that the, the woman had come to the tomb and he wasn't there? Yeah, so somewhere after that, somewhere after that revelation, they still walked away. Because they found Jesus, encountered Jesus seven miles away from Jerusalem. So for them, for them to know about the women and to know that Peter had run to the tomb and John had run to the tomb and knew that and found it empty, they must have been close enough to, to know that, and then we're gone. That's a strange perspective when you hung out with Jesus for, for a period of time. But then Jesus goes on, and as compassionate as he is, but Jesus, Jesus does a reality check for them. <laughs> oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Hello, that's a reality check, wouldn't you think? Duh. See, their whole perspective of the Messiah was totally, I mean, after spending time with him, they still didn't get it. They needed their eyes to be awakened, their hearts to be awakened, their ears to be awakened. That's how they believed. They believed with their eyes. They believed with their eyes, yeah. That's why he had to be hidden. Mm-hmm. So he gives them an awakening. And not only does he give them an awakening, he walks them through every scripture from Moses, which would be the Torah, all the way through the prophets, and shows them what? So what did you say? He had to be hidden so the eyes would be awakened. No, I mean, they're Jews. I mean, the whole time they saw Jesus, they believed in him through his eyes. They saw all his miracles and all the stuff he did. So... Once he was gone, what are they going to believe in? They can't see it anymore. Oh, okay. That's but, but then, like what you're talking about, he taught them um, faith. 
by doing all the scriptures. Yeah. And truth. Yeah. And you know, in one of the, the, the one of the recordings that I edited yesterday, Sharon's comment was, and I've been pondering this comment for a while, she'd rather know truth than what's false, because truth is what sets us free. So Jesus awakened them to truth. And it, can you imagine the conversation? Let's, let's start with Moses. Let's start with the Torah. And here's what it says about me in this chapter. And here's what it says about me. And here's what it says about me. And here's what it says about me. And we, get, and we garner from that, we, we garner from that that we should interpret the Scriptures how? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. And anything short of that is going to lead to a false perspective. How many of us sat, have sat through sermon after sermon after sermon, and hopefully not here, where you got a perspective other than Jesus? Okay. Denominational perspective. Yeah, denominational perspective. See, and we're going to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about God, and we're going to go back to eternity again today. But if we come out of eternity with the wrong perspective of God, we're going to walk in falsehood the rest of the time. We're going to miss it. Our perspective of God, our theology, so to speak, if it is skewed, you're going to get a skewed result in your life. And I don't know about you, but I'm still undoing all the skewing <laughs> that I've experienced. You've been skewed. I've been skewered. <laughs> I've been skewered by false words. <laughs> Let them skewer you over. <laughs> Fortunately, I haven't been roasted open and over an open fire, but that's good. It feels like it sometimes. Though. I'm actually laughing. This is great. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit today, and we're going to spend the next few weeks slowly, methodically working through this whole timeline stuff from eternity to the manifestation of the sons of God so that we can exercise our co-creative ability. And yes, you should go listen to what I had to say. Okay, I will. <laughs> I'll pray for you. Uh, I know you will. You always do. Uh, yes, and, and you know, it's okay. See, that's the beauty. We don't all have to agree on the same thing. But there are certain essentials that we should agree on. And so I want to talk a little bit today about God and eternity. I want to talk about some concepts. Truth, theology, ontology, wholeness. We all long to be whole, right? What's wholeness? All right, take another sip of coffee, have some more caffeine. Wakey, wakey. What's wholeness? Wholeness is the fullness of him inside of me. The fullness of him inside of you. That's one definition. How about, this is, this is Paul Young. Wholeness is when our doing matches our being. Anytime we are not doing in actions consistent with our being, we're in internal conflict. But then the question becomes, what's our being? And that's the subject of ontology. It's the subject of being. It's the subject of who or what someone or is, including God, in their purest form, purest state. 
And God has an ontology, and human beings have an ontology. And oftentimes, because of what we have been taught, there is a conflict between God's ontology and our ontology, our being and God's being. Should there be a conflict between God's being and our being? No. No. Why? Because just as he is, so are we. Yeah. Just as he is, so are we. We are in union. We are in oneness. It doesn't mean we are God with a capital G, but our basic core being is consistent with his. So what's God's core being? Love. Love. What else? And when you say love, what kind of love? Unconditional. Unconditional. What else? What other what aspects go with unconditional love? Because this is where this is this is where words become important. In English and Greek and Latin, God is generally defined as a noun. In Hebrew, God is defined as a verb. What's the difference? One's an object and one's uh, action. One's an object, one's action. If God is a verb, then that means what? Love. He's alive. Okay. And what about love? Unconditional love is always in action. Right? So, Paul Young dislikes the word God because Protestant church has turned it into a noun. He prefers Trinity because Trinity implies relationship and relationship implies action. So if we were to say the ontology of the Trinity, it starts with love. Give me some more characteristics of God, though. Faithful. Generous. Generous. Merciful. Merciful. Kind. I'm sorry, say it again, Sarah. Kind. Kind. It's the kindness of God that changes our minds, right? Patient. Patient. Just say 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, okay. <laughs> All of that is non-stop action. His mercies are new every morning, which means continuous action. Steadfast love. Steadfast. Steadfast what, Bill? Love lasts forever. Steadfast love lasts forever, which means he's unchanging, right? So if we flip back a minute... Back here, is the God of eternity the same God that, that we find in our timeline? Yes. Is he changed? No. No. Who redefined God in the timeline? We did. And it started right here with Adam. Because what's the first thing that Adam did when he had this awakening 
after to to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He hid and he experienced shame, and then he tried to redefine things, including God. And then religion forms from that. So all of this stuff about religion for thousands of years comes out of that singular singular event, trying to redefine God so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves. So one of the things, truth, is this God in eternity is the same forever, in and outside of time. Always outside of time the same, and his manifestation inside of time the same. You know, I, I was listening to something the other day. God is outside of time. Well, yeah, but he's also inside of time. Because <laughs> he's in us, and we're inside of time. So everything that you're saying about God, in terms of his nature then, if we want to be able to fully experience life as the sons of God and manifest as the sons of God, which eventually is going to happen because the scripture says all of creation is waiting for it. I think it's starting to happen now. But if we want to experience that, we got to settle in our minds that this God is active constantly, never changing, never diluting his love no matter what I do, never withdrawing his kindness regardless of what I do, always always, always encouraging the best to come out of me and for me to experience. So then when I have a, when I have a speed bump or if I hit a <laughs> dip in the road that can be very deep at times, can I hold on to, it becomes the challenge, can I hold on to the fact that his love, his faithfulness, his generosity, his mercy, his kindness, his patience, his steadfastness is not going to change. And I will eventually come out the other side. Can I hold on to that? That's part of the challenge of accepting truth in my life. Thoughts, comments? I can agree with that. You can agree with that. Okay. Okay. It's great when we're, when we're coasting on the smooth road, but when we hit the bump, that's the challenge, right? And because we look at God as out there as a noun, we forget that he's really in here in the midst of our, that, that depression, that valley, that bump, whatever you want to term it, he's in the midst of that bringing his loving kindness to bear to get us out of it. And half the time, getting out of it means adjustment of our own paradigm, our own thought process. That's why songs like Come Lord Jesus or Come Holy Spirit just don't measure up to who God is. Yeah, that's, that's because those songs put him out here. Put him outside of our timeline. Begging him to but enter he, our timeline. But he is outside of the timeline, but he's also inside. Yes. So I think that's important. <clears throat> we are in him. He is in us. Yes. So the outside of the timeline is us being in the bigger him, I feel like. Yeah. Somehow, I don't know. No, you're good. Stay with it. Explain. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I feel like <clears throat> there's always, I always feel like there's this 
here, this is truth and this is truth, right? So I feel like, yes, God is action. He's always actioning. He's always this, but he is him, which is a pronoun, which alludes to that he is a noun, right? And then I always think, like, come Lord Jesus. So, like, I can see it where all of creation is contained in him, all of it, yet, which seems very global and universal and massive, and yet he is in me and everybody else here, which is never, it's like you can't get away from it. Yeah, you can't go anywhere where he isn't. Yeah, you can't. But, uh, and, but sometimes you're very aware that he's inside, but sometimes you're very aware that you are in him. And I think that's that, for me, that's that when you feel that presence, it's that external being aware that you are also in him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and I have a different take on those songs now, like, come Lord Jesus. It doesn't mean, or come Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean I, it's like awareness mm -hmm. of Holy Spirit, come to me right now, come into my consciousness, awareness that Holy Spirit is already here, but mm -hmm. inside, not just outside, because I think for too long we thought of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit as Outside, I don't think we understood inside. At least I didn't understand the insideness. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't compute in my head. How can I be in Christ and Christ in me? I don't get that. But I knew He was around me. I knew He was outside of me, but it was hard for me to understand the inside of me. So when I look at those songs, <clears throat> I've been trying. There's this book called The Present, which is all about being present in the moment. And that's what I feel like when those Come Lord Jesus songs are like. It's like you're being aware, you're like being present in the moment instead of daydreaming or thinking of something different. Mm -hmm. and, and so part of what we've been grappling with as we move through grace is realizing it's not just an outward environment, but there's a huge significant aspect of our being that's going on inside. Agree? So Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the essence of that relational component of love, right? We've talked about that many times. There is no unconditional love without the relationship of the Trinity. The early church fathers, and I love this, I was talking to, or not talking, listening to Paul Young this week, and Paul Young was saying, you know, they used to have bar fights in the early early church days about the about the concept of the Trinity. <laughs> That's what he called them, bar fights, because there was no consensus in the at first about what Trinity was. And then he says, and part of the reason there's no consensus is because the Hebrew scholars and rabbis are now they're now admitting they deliberately misinterpreted the Hebrew scriptures and wrote them in such a way to downplay the plurality of God. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Because they the didn't... God is one. Because they wanted to be able to keep the lid on things, and the minute you start introducing Trinitarian nature, you introduce concepts that go beyond control. It's a lot easier to control if it's one God who's mad at you <laughs> than if it's a... Trinity, plurality, but why would they... I haven't, I mean, I'm confused because I've never heard of anything being taught other than the plurality. Oh, no, the, the, the Jewish, the early Jewish history, uh, uh, God is one, just one. Mm -hmm. 
they did not accept the concept of plurality. That's why they fought with Jesus when yeah. he said, I and the Father are one. Yeah. It can't be. That's blasphemy. Yeah. yeah. Because there's only one God. Yeah. And you're not him. So, so yeah, the, the whole Hebraic system was based upon a singular God. Even though the scriptures, if you, if you translate the Aramaic and the Hebrew literally, it was a plurality. So, so we talked about a couple of weeks ago how the interpreters who are writing their paradigm gets into scripture and it messes things up. That's why, you know, and that's why we're going to talk about some Aramaic stuff. But perichoresis is the expression that circle dance. That's the circle dance. That's that expression of the love that we got, we got brought into through the revelation of Christ and grace. We are, I mean, we never really left it, but we awakened to it. The whole concept of creation to, some, to a large degree is about us in relationship with God. But if we see God as, as a noun, as an object, if God is an object... You can't really have a relationship with a rock, with a with an object. I mean, remember the pet rock days? Some people tried to have a relationship with a pet rock. Didn't go very well. My precious pet rock. When you try to have a relationship with an object that's not reciprocating, you're opening the door up to all kinds of confusion and chaos. And so if I'm pushing this object God away from me, I'm missing a part of myself. And if I'm missing a part of myself, there's going to be an internal reaction trying to recover that. So when you, when you get that, and I saw this again that week, remember that here's, here's people... You know, you got God, you have the great cavern, or you have God, and you have the cross trying to get you across the cavern. I saw that again this week and I about threw up. Because now I'm trying to figure out a way to cross that internal tension, stress, whatever in my heart in my being to find peace and it's all about me doing. So approaching this noun God, this object God is me moving. This verb God is moving to me. Moving, always moving on my behalf, always encouraging, drawing out my heart. And so more often than not, we default to this non-God who's out here because that's what we were trained and taught, now Holy Spirit is teaching us stay in union, stay in connection, stay in oneness, because that's where you're going to hear. That's where you're going to experience. Bill was talking about Thursday night, letting Holy Spirit lead. If I see Holy Spirit out here as a noun, there's a lot of things in between, because I'm going to create a lot of barriers. But if Holy Spirit is in here as part of the Trinity, you know, some people call it the 18-inch drop, but really it's the elevator ride up. As things come up, it's the well of life springing up into the consciousness. And that's a whole lot easier to, to relate to if I know 
the ontology of God. I mean, ultimately, you can describe all of this as God is good. Always good. Always good. Let me find something here for you. Genesis 2.17 uses the word good. The Aramaic translation of the word good is anything perfect. Right? God is perfect. What does God say about us in Genesis 1, 21, or 27? Yeah, very, very good, very perfect. Do we live it? Do we believe it? But it does, whether you live it or believe it, it doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the fact, but if I reject it, it's going to change my outcome, outcome and my choices. Yeah. Yeah. And your experience. And my experience. So all of this comes into play. And in that same verse in Genesis 2.17, it uses the word evil. What do you think the word evil means? Not good. Hmm? Not good. Anything imperfect. Because if good is anything perfect, evil is anything imperfect in Aramaic, or contrary to good, or, here's a good word, immature. You don't understand. Yes. You are. Yes. So Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, is telling them, let's revisit your perspective from this viewpoint, which is me. He's telling us, let's revisit our perspective from this viewpoint, which is me, which is I am good, I love you unconditionally, I'm always faithful, I'm generous, I'm merciful, I'm kind, I'm patient, I'm steadfast in my love, and it lasts forever. His mercies endure forever. Does that mean when time ceases, his mercies are still there? Yeah. Yeah, I got a question for you that I've been pondering here. Aren't you glad I'm back? I am. (laughs) If God lives in us and we live in him, if God is in time, and outside of time, we can also live outside the time zone. Sure. That's that above the line, below the line teaching that Don did years ago. What's that? Is that quantum? Is that quantum? That you can reach outside of the natural timeline? Yeah, I think so. You can define it as that, or you can just define it as a reality of relationship. Paul Young talks about quantum is part of that functioning in two realms. So it's interesting you asked that question. Then that what Mo said is you've got one atom here and one across the universe, and when one moves, the other one moves. Is that like when God moves, you move? Could be. I'm not going to be a quantum person, but you know we can discuss this. <laughs> what? That's all time is, is a perspective. Yes. I was looking at the Trinity thing you drew up. The problem is, is we draw everything finitely. Yes. Because that gives you the impression that there's something outside that circle. And there isn't. Yeah. Because it, it's all encompassing, so we can't escape yeah. the Trinity. Okay? And that's the way you need to look at it. So when you're in the hole or wherever you are, you can't escape it. So mm-hmm. you can't escape God's love. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was... But you can't draw it. Yeah, no, that's the problem. I mean, we don't have enough dimensional space that we can comprehend to be able to draw it and understand it that way. No, I agree with you, Bill. I mean, it's you know, it's beyond my capacity to put down on a two-dimensional board. 
But that's all I have. Tell you the other thing. The other thing I was thinking is like you're talking about evil. I mean, evil evil is inside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which was interesting that you just said that because I was thinking, you know, when uh, I saw Satan cast out of heaven into earth, if we're thinking heaven is in our minds and our thoughts and earth is our hearts, that evil, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. Never mind. It's okay. Keep going. I don't I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> All right. Well, well, are you going, it was... You saw fall from their mindset? Saw the mindset? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, you because you things. were, yeah, because you said, or you just said, like, and I said earlier, like, we're contained in Him, right? So everything's in the good, evil, everything. Perfect, imperfect is all contained there. And then I was thinking while you were talking earlier about Satan being cast from heaven, I saw, you know, like Jesus said, I saw the day when you were cast from heaven and be hurled to the earth. And then I was thinking, evidently I wasn't paying attention because then I was thinking, well, if that happened, and if our mind and our imagination is really heaven or the holiest of holies, and then Satan was cast to earth, which is our heart where it grows, I was just like, whoa, what does that mean? It was a different perspective. Sorry. No, no. Yeah, that, that's the way we've been taught. That, yeah. Okay, e yeah. Evil is, separates us from God. <laughs> like, you can't get separated. You can't get outside of God. Yeah. 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 So... This God that we've been talking about on the backside of this board, that God is the same all along mm -hmm. the natural timeline that we experience. Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve were created very good. They didn't lose that because of the fall. That doesn't change because ontological perspective, ontological being never changes. How we express it changes. And I can express evil, in other words, unconscious awareness or lack of perfection, however you want to do it. I can be a, that kind of a person. But get this, you know, we, the scriptures say God, you know, that Adam and Eve were escorted out of the garden, right? And what it says? It says in Genesis 3.23, they were sent forth from the garden. What, what does that mean to you? Remembering that Aramaic has a, net, has a literal, moral, and spiritual component, all free in play at the same time. How about... Well, who sent them out of the garden? What does it say? Well, somebody look up Genesis 3.23. Who sent them out of the garden? God accompanied them all. Genesis 3 what? Genesis 3.23. Somebody look that up. So the Lord God banished the, him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. So what does that suggest? What, what do we fall back to understanding that to mean? God rejected us. They got the physical boot. They were banished. And they were rejected and banished, right? That's what we but interpret that. If we go back to God as a loving God and say, okay, this must somehow have been a loving act, show me. <laughs> How about if it just simply means a loss of harmony? 
in the Aramaic, it simply means a loss of harmony. They lost the harmony, the peace, the garden of being, this place of peace. Which was their nature before, and when he said, you eat from this, you shall surely die, so the harmony died. Mm-hmm. Eden is a delightful place. It could be a temporal life, but they lost harmony. If you lose harmony, what happens? What's the result of loss of harmony internally? Chaos. Chaos, conflict. Strife. Strife. Depression, anxiety. Depression, anxiety. Fear. But if you read that whole thing, he said, now these humans have become like us and have knowledge of what is good and bad. Therefore, they must not take, be allowed to take from the fruit of the tree of life. So the Lord sent them out and made them cultivate the soil which they've been formed. And then he put the living creatures to, so they couldn't go in, so that they couldn't get bad go to the tree of life. So there's a physical... Removal from a place. Yeah, but I mean, I know that. But what I mean is there's more to that whole story than just the disharmony. There was, like, you're back to you, what you said, there was, that was a loving act. So what right. was he helping us when he did that? Mm-hmm. What if you were... To not live in chaos. Yeah. I mean... Say that again, Bill? To not live in chaos. To not live in chaos. Because now they have a awareness of self. Before, they didn't have any idea of self. That's true. It's zero. They were... Their awareness was God. And it's still our issue. Wow. But did God have an awareness of self when he made them? He made them in his image, I guess. I so, that, if he... If... And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Well... If God made man in his image and God knew good and evil, shouldn't Adam and Eve have known good and evil at the time of their conception, so to speak? They need to know it. They didn't need to know it. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh, yeah. There's no need to know it. What if the whole thing was intentional? What whole thing? Adam and Eve taking the fruit. What if that? Well, that's what I always thought. God set them up for failure. No, So when let's turn it around. God, hey, I'm just throwing this out no, there. No, listen. God set them up, but not for failure. He set them up for uh, life. But it looks. It doesn't look that way to us. Right. I don't know. I'm just saying. Maybe okay. It was a setup, but it was an intentional setup. For love and life and abundance, and it it doesn't look that way to us, but because we're all thinking, well, gosh, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, sin, so to speak, we would all be doing great. But I don't know, would we? But what did you say about we when we were back yeah. there about the self thing and the, and what? They had no no concept of self. I mean, even though they didn't have clothes on, okay. Yeah. They had nothing, zero, and they didn't need it. They didn't need to know good and evil because they had God. And it's just what the relationship is, okay? So we eat from the tree. Now we have a concept of self. And you know what all this self-crap brings, you know? When you're trying to figure it out yourself (laughs) versus trusting God. All they had was an awareness of God. Right, but then how did they all of a sudden they eat from the tree? But they had harmony. They know they don't have clothes on. Did somebody tell them that? Or did they see it? 
Did they not have harmony when they're in the garden walking with God? They did. Yeah. Right. They had perfect harmony. They had perfect harmony. But then somehow they, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm just trying to see it from a different perspective. Sure. And that's exactly what I want you to do. I'm challenging you. Clearly, at this stage where Adam makes a choice and man says he fell, that's why I have him sideways, there's a loss of harmony. Adam experienced a disruption to harmony with God. He experienced a disruption to the paracritic circle because he can't see himself in that circle anymore. Right? And if he can't see himself in that circle, then all of those negative emotions, and one of the things we're learning, at least I'm learning with Carol, is negative emotions are low-level energy emotions. And they detract and they suck, they suck life. So Adam lost the higher energy of harmony fell into the lower energy realm of emotions, and there's this disruption. Yeah. And all of history then from that point on is about trying to figure out how to get back there. Mm -hmm. I mean, could you imagine being a million years old and going through the crap we're going through for a million years? <laughs> <laughs> and knowing what it was like to be in harmony. Yes, yes, yes. Good point. I don't, I don't yeah. If it's left up to us, I think it could just, I think going back up. But see, that's why the Jew is waiting for the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is when he restores all things. And they thought Jesus was going to come and restore all things, and he didn't do it the way they wanted yes. him to. So they were ticked. Yes. So they but crucified he, him. But he did it. <laughs> he did it, but he did it in a different yes. way. Now, if I want to live a peaceful life, one of the things I have to realize is Jesus restored my harmony. If I realize Jesus restored my harmony at the cross so that my veil that covers my understanding of the, of the perichoritic relationship, the perichoritic circle, has been removed, I am now free to explore that. I may not always get it right, but as we talked about it a week or two ago, if I go off to the left while I'm exploring, God's got a way to bring me back. And if I go too far to the right, he's got a way to bring me back. But he gives me the freedom to explore. So when, when, we, make, when we go on an exploration tangent and we fail, what are we, what's our normal response? You stupid idiot, why did you do that? Where God's gone... I just wanted you to, you know, I just wanted to see where you'd go, but I got your back. I got your back. That's good. Because we're free to live in that realm. Yes. But if I want to experience the fullness of life, wholeness, where my being matches my choices, or my choices matches my being, I have to be free to explore. Otherwise, I'm a robot. Otherwise, it's not love. But I am on a search, you know, I, I look back over the last seven, eight years, and I realize I'm on a, ser I'm on a search for harmony. Well, and, you know, and it's not eHarmony.com. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, it's easy to love when you are in harmony. Yes. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe God wanted to show his love never fails no matter whether there's harmony or disharmony. 
And you can't show love to someone in disharmony if they're not in disharmony. I don't. I don't know. Sorry. But I, I, I think, I think we're being challenged in this season because that's how we, that's how we figure out what truth is. That's where, where truth is. We, we experience things and we go, oh, that's truth. And now I can lock into truth. Okay. I mean, but, the, but what we talked about about God this morning, that's truth. That's not, that's never going to change. That is truth. It's not, it's not situational or relative as our, you know, postmodern or post-Christian society has redefined truth as whatever fits at the moment. I mean, I was reading an article this morning from, about Australia. Do you realize that in Australia, they have concentration camps for people who are exposed to, to COVID. Even if they test negative, they're thrown in these concentration camps. And if they try to escape, they're prosecuted. I mean, ugh. I mean, that's a fear. That's crazy. That's not mm-hmm. harmony. That's destructive to a society. And we're trying hard right now here. Yeah. So... That's why the orthodox view that the fall, sin, the loss of identity is a sickness that needs to be healed versus a morally depraved Western perspective where Adam was morally depraved and everyone else follows in his footsteps, that's a, that's, that's a paradigm problem because you have two conflicting paradigms. This one seems to be, if it's a sickness, it seems to be consistent with Jesus saying, I've come to seek and save the lost. Heal, save, sozo. But if it's morally depraved, I don't know. That seems to be way away from where Jesus was demonstrating. Because that song we did today, can you see who he hangs out with? I put it in there because I knew what I wanted to talk about. Can you see who he hangs out with? Oh my gosh. You take 40 some thousand denominations, probably 38,000 of them, you got to hang out with only people inside this little box. I mean, I remember being taught in a Nazarene church, you can't hang out with people who don't believe like you do. They'll corrupt you. They'll corrupt you. And you can't go to a movie because you're accepting the corruption of another person and you're endorsing it by paying an admission fee. So at some point in time, you have to come to, like, I think you're going to come to a position where being right or being wrong doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. You don't have to be right anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Which means you don't have to fight with people. You don't have to convince them. Exactly. Yes. You don't have to take the Bible and beat them over the head with it. And if, you're, and if you're in relationship with the God of eternity, Paul Young says you're now the church. If you're in relationship with the, with the Trinity, you are now the church. The, uh, the morally depraved. Yes. As opposed to those who aren't aware of who they are. They have a misunderstanding. That justifies hell and damnation. Because if you're morally depraved, you're not allowed. Yeah. And then we get into predeterminism and 
you're you're in, but you're not. And that was before the foundation of the universe. And then what do you do with those who are mentally disabled and can't? You open up a Pandora's box when you go that way. And, and by the way, this moral depravity started with Augustine, who was a lawyer. It was put on steroids by Calvin, who was a lawyer, and further in, endorsed by Luther, who was a lawyer. I see. A, I see. A so, so I, I th- <laughs> so I think. I think. I think. I see. I see that Shakespeare probably had it right. Get rid of the lawyers. <laughs> Thank God I'm reformed. <laughs> Let's check in with those online. What are you guys thinking? What are you hearing? Anybody want to jump in? Well, we're, we're talking about evil. I mean, the Lord's Prayer has it in there, deliver us from evil. But I'm also thinking that in Genesis, that's, the, you know, that's when the fall happened. But when you go all the way to Revelation, God is talking about the overcomers. And we are to overcome, overcome, overcome all these things. And I think as we overcome these things, then we become that being in harmony with God. And that, to me, would be the manifestation of sense when we've overcome these things that have fallen in time and put us down that terrible road of towards evil. And not, I mean, there's good and evil, and it doesn't mean that good is any better than evil, but that it's, well, it is better, but. You know, either one is not the way God intended, but they all have their place. So we have to overcome this basic what I what I what I've been taught mm-hmm. in the last little while that we need to overcome, overcome. Good, good comment. Overcome ourselves, overcome our beliefs, overcome the things, the doctrines, whatever our overcoming needs to be yeah. to become who He is. And and if evil is anything imperfect, contrary to good, immature. So when the Lord, when we say in the Lord's prayer. You know, deliver us from evil. Lord, deliver, deliver me from my immaturity. Wow. When didn't Paul say, put away the childish things and become mature? Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Lord, put away my immaturity. Which tells you what? He's got the answer to deliver me from my immaturity. And what am I, what's my role? Cooperate. Cooperate. Be open. Yeah. And not run when Holy Spirit says, um, Terry, let's have a talk. No, let's do that tomorrow. <laughs> Hold your theology loosely. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Marilyn or Stuart? I love what you said about um, God being a verb instead of a noun. That makes a whole lot of better sense. Yeah. Stuart, what do you think? Anything? One thing I was going to say, Terry, is, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm right on this, but from what you were talking about, kind of a sideline thought was, you know, when I think about the prophets, that story of Jesus chasing after us and the cross is Jesus catching us, catching up with us. Explain that when you say the prophets were Jesus chasing after us. Well, you know, it talks about how Jesus chases after us if we're lost, and the prophets are all describing his attributes. 
and it telling us who the, who who he is and what to expect, even though we don't always grasp it. Yep. And that's why I say, and maybe it would be better pointing to, to stay pointing to, as everybody would probably agree. But that's like the description. And it just kind of came to me that the revelation is that the cross is him catching us. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make sense. No, no, that's good. I like that. I like that. Another thing is we don't understand with our finite minds infinite. We can't because these are cells that are not able to be programmed for infinite. Yeah, yeah. In the sense that they're a physical thing that can't necessarily understand spirit. Yeah. Now, if I go back to, if I want to define God as a noun, now I have put him in a box, right? If I put if I put the Trinity yeah. as a noun, they're in a box. But if Trinity is a verb, can you can you pigeonhole a verb? Can you pigeonhole no. unlimited action? So that's huge, because now our theology goes, "Whoa, he's big," and his bigness is being exercised on my behalf. It's, and he's integrating us in oneness and union. And he's pulling a thread from Bill this way and a thread from Greg this way and one from Muriel this way into our pulling of threads together into oneness. And the best part is Bill gets to be distinctly Bill. Greg gets to be distinctly Greg. Muriel gets to be distinctly Muriel. But we come together in oneness. Isn't that good? I like that. I like that. I like a distinct Bill because he brings a perspective that challenges me in a good way. I like a Muriel because she brings a perspective that goes, hey, this is the insight I got. And I like a Greg even though we disagree on some things <laughs> because it's iron sharpening iron. And that's okay. You'll but see it, the light soon. I know. <laughs> I know. Someday he'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> And and here's the great here's the greatest part, I can I can respect and accept any theological differences that we may have, because our theology does not define God. Our theology is our attempt to understand God. Yeah. So I recognize that when it comes to the the aspect of quantum physics and the application to life. We have a different perspective, but you know what? It doesn't negate who God is. It just is different how we're walking it out at the moment, how we're coming to a greater depth of revelation. There are some people out there who are so scientifically oriented, quantum is the only way to get to them, and it opens the door for them because because the in-your-face gospel hasn't opened the door to to them, okay? And I come over here, and and I look at Sarah, and I go, Sarah has a heart for God, has a perspective that's, that's been formed out of pressure of life that becomes a diamond that now reflects. See, and I can respect that because she's been through things that I haven't been through, so it's not for me to judge where she's at, it's for me to embrace what she's been through because it brings a dimension to me. How many wars could we avoid if that was our perspective? <laughs> How many less denominations would there be? <laughs> See, 
So that's, the, that's kind of the truth that I want to pursue for a while here is, how does the truth about who God's, God is, his ontology, overlay our ontology of our being, and how do we walk that out? Realizing it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay. Because you know what? When I was practicing law, I, I took comfort in the fact that Michigan... Excuse me. Hang on a minute. I took comfort in the, in the fact that Michigan didn't have a death penalty, so there wasn't anything I could, as a lawyer, that I could be so bad at that was going to cause someone to die, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Could you repeat that part about embracing the, the past rather than looking at where they're at? We, we didn't quite catch that. Sure. Like... Sarah has an experience of life that has formed where she's at in her relationship with God. So I can embrace what she's been through and not, and not judge it or condemn it, but I can embrace it for what it, truth it brings out about who God is. It's the same with everyone else. Everyone else has their own experience, theological experience with God in perspective. That, and we don't all have to be on the exact same page. And so I can embrace wonderful, differences. You. Does that help? I said, wonderful, thank you. Yes, sir. Terry, that's like the two men on the road to Emmaus. They each had a perspective, and they were, the road is life. Yes. They walked down it, and some, somewhere down that road, God intersects you and gives you a peek at his eternity which you don't totally comprehend, but you take, a, you take a, a piece of it. Yeah. And we all walk, you know, a road that I think Linda and I are walking a road similar. You know, I thought about this a couple of weeks ago. And people in here may not understand all the nuances of that road. Mm -hmm. And we, we talk, you know, like we do. But you don't know. And then, and then God steps in and you go, oh, yeah. And, and it's not that you're supposed to give it to everybody else because he treats all of us where we are. Mm -hmm. You know, how far down that road are you? You may not even started the road yet. Yeah. But he's gracious and loving and he's always there. He's, he's always been with us. Yeah, and the, and the more you embrace that, the more you create an atmosphere for him to speak more yeah. that you can understand. It's when we're pushing God away that it's hard to hear. Or when I'm defining him as a noun, it's hard to hear because I am projecting myself onto that object I call God, and I want him to speak to me this way. Sharon, how many times has God spoken outside your box to you? All the time. I see. Does it get easier as time goes on to... to Accept that? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of that deepening of that relationship. That's deepening us and drawing us deeper into the paracritic circle. That's what I have for today. And the more, the more we recognize what we're talking about today and the more we accept our role and our relationship in the paracritic circle, the more we're going to hear truth from Holy Spirit. That's going to be heresy to some people. Okay? When you, when you start... When you start responding to the direct speaking of the Holy Spirit to you, people are going to go, that's cultish, that's a heretic, that's lust, that's that, because they're scared, and they don't have the depth of that paradigm. 
Don't be scared to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't lock in. But be open, hold your theology loosely, because Holy Spirit's going to come, you know, let's, let's just take a phrase that we're all familiar with. God is a refining fire. Trinity is a refining fire. Refining towards a greater understanding of the paracritic relationship that we have. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he's doing. And you know what? It's all good. Even when I'm having a bad day. Because it's my bad day doesn't define the goodness in me. All right, any last minute thoughts for today? Best meeting ever. Awesome, thank you. I think I'll magnify that when I when I edit. I'm going to blow that one up. <laughs> Maybe I'll call that the title, best meeting ever. <laughs> thoughts from over here? Anything, Stuart? First off, this is kind of a word for Carol. Um, thinking about the Wizard of Oz, God showed me that you're you're on the yellow brick road. And for a little bit of clarification on that, they followed the yellow brick road, but it was the pursuit of truth. And I really see you, I, I literally see you on that yellow brick road pursuing truth and when you when you get to that point of wherever that end is, you have to remember that they followed this yellow brick road, and then then as they got closer to the end, things came into more and more focus. You know, first they saw the, the curtain, and then they went beyond the veil, the curtain, and they really saw truth. And you know, where that's kind of an, an allegory maybe of something else. The point for you, I believe, is is that you're on the right track, you're on the right road, and you're getting closer to a really a really revelation of truth. And that you're gonna see things very clearly and with a great understanding that a lot of the questions that you may have now are all gonna be answered. But I'm just seeing this real powerful anointing in you. I can't tell you what there's, there's, it's like God saying there's a ministry ahead of you that you have not even seen yet, that it's just like really super powerful. And that's just my word for you that God showed me you on the yellow brick road. Thank you. You're welcome. I want to say this to, to the person that, when you, when you, at the end of the movie, uh, when the Wizard of Oz, who's in control? The person who pulled back the curtain. Oh.